Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name's Ollie, and it's a pleasure to welcome you here tonight. Uh, if I haven't met you, a, a bit about myself. Uh, I'm 26 years old. I'm, uh, I was... Uh, I grew up in Canada and the eastern suburbs of Adelaide. Uh, I studied, uh, or I started three university degrees, finished one. Uh, I studied history at uni, loved it. Uh, for work now, I, I look after a team of dedicated legends that look after the youth here at church. And um, I'm married to Meg, she's one of the biggest delights in my life, and shortly followed by my son Ned. Uh, Ned's one year old. And I want to start by sharing a story with you guys tonight of uh, the day that Ned was born. I'll I'll never forget it. It was uh, September 2018. It was the Hawthorne-Richmond prelim final. Uh, It's important information. Uh, I remember sitting, we were watching the final, uh, although we got pretty tired. We went to bed at about 8.30pm. Then I was kind of rudely awakened at 10.30pm. Meg was pacing up and down the hallway uh, with contractions. About 12.30 a.m., we um, headed to the hospital. We get to the front desk, and they uh, ask us, um, uh, you know, is this your first pregnancy? We say yes, and then kind of expecting to send us home. They then uh, uh, check Meg to see how far along she was, only to realize that she was nine centimeters dilated. Uh, So context, for those who don't know, 10 centimeters is when you start pushing. Uh, So in this kind of absolute whirlwind, they rush us up to the birthing suite. It was so quick, Meg didn't even get a chance to receive any pain relief. And about three hours of agonizing labor. I now understand why it's called labor. And it was pretty tough for Meg too. Uh, Just kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, A whole whole new appreciation for mums and for midwives. My word. with nothing left to give, just being completely exhausted, just everything in you wanting to give up, and the most incredible act of selflessness from the mother, finally this, this tiny, fragile life takes his first breath. Human life, I learn in this moment, is just so incredibly fragile. This tiny life just completely dependent on you in this moment. Yet human life, despite its fragility and in this moment, uh, messy, is so incredibly beautiful. It's beautiful. This selfless act of a mother to bring into the world a person, it's stunning. Totally transcendent. These transcendent moments are less pretty when Ned's waking you up at 3 a.m. But the good moments definitely outweigh the bad ones. But what we're going to ask you tonight to think about is this question of life. Why are we here? What is life all about? What does life consist of? What is the sum of our existence? Well, Tonight I want to take us through a look at the dominant cultural narrative of our day that tries to answer this question, the meaning of life. Humbly, I then want to highlight some of the the problems with this narrative. And then I want to present to you an alternative answer offered by the person Jesus. 
Jesus is someone who's captivated our hearts and our minds, and we hope you'll see, as we have, that an existence measured by him will give you the peace and the connection that you're looking for in an anxious world. Well, let me, let me start. Let me start by defining what I mean by a cultural narrative. A cultural narrative is the story by which we understand the world around us. Each seeking to answer this question, each narrative seeking to answer the question, what is life's meaning? Like any narrative, there is identified a problem, a struggle, and then a resolution. A problem, a struggle, and then a resolution. For example, a Buddhist person might see in their narrative that the problem of life is suffering. And then in the narrative, the struggle then is to escape desire. And the resolution is nirvana. Or consider the 15th century monk. The problem is guilt and shame. The struggle in this narrative is then doing good works. And the resolution is righteousness and escaping purgatory. For the Jedi Knight, any here? No. Okay. The problem in this narrative is the dark side. The struggle is resistance and rebellion through the force. And the resolution is freedom and justice for the galaxy. Well, I want to put forward tonight the dominant cultural f- narrative of today is arguably materialism. This narrative materialism is in the sense that what we can see and feel is the only reality there is. But also materialism in the sense of the elevation of consumerism. That is gaining possessions, experience and and pleasure as the highest goal. And maybe you're here tonight and that is your narrative worldview. The materialistic worldview says there's nothing more than what we can see And therefore, we do not not answer to any authority higher than ourselves. The highest authority is the self. The problem of life in this narrative, then, is restraint, boredom, and unsatisfaction. And by extension, therefore, the problem with the world, with a materialistic worldview, is the institutions that restrain us, like religion and patriarchy and corrupt government and stereotypes. The struggle, therefore, in this narrative is to acquire possessions, experience, and pleasure to satisfy us and entertain us, and by extension, to resist and to confront anything that would restrain us from acquiring them. So freedom, progress, self-expression are celebrated, encouraged. Technology is elevated and integrated at all levels because technology is reducing suffering, acquiring more wealth, providing pleasure, and expressing expressing ourselves. And then whether on the right or the left of politics, the narrative resolution or the height of our human existence by this cultural narrative is the same. The resolution is the good life of pleasure and positive feelings. The goal, what we're striving towards, is the good life. Our cultural commentator Mark Sayers, and if you're here this morning, Timon loves this guy too, uh, writes this. The pursuit of pleasure becomes foundational to our vision of the good life. The individual offered unparalleled consumer choice. The ability to construct an identity, to grasp a bold new future of freedom and opportunity through accelerating technology. 
This is the narrative that is shaping so much of our culture around us. And for any narrative, any narrative that we hear, there's always going to be narrators and storytellers. And one of the greatest storytellers of our time is, is TV and movies. Uh, I remember Meg and I, not too long ago, on a child-free date night, uh, went to a movie at the cinemas. Uh, we decided to see the movie Angel Has Fallen. Anyone seen that movie? Okay, get ready for some spoilers. Uh, the, fil the film stars Gerard Butler as Secret Service agent Mike Banning, who is framed for an attempted assassination on the president. Without giving too much away, Banning fights to clear his name and then uh, along the way discovers this terrible plot by a, a paramilitary organisation that's seeking to start a world war so that it can get its military contracts. Uh, and it turns out they're all a puppet of the vice president, are hungry for power. Uh, don't worry, it's not a spoiler because the twist is just very, very obvious. Uh, I'm sorry. But it's important to this point. What I noticed about this film, and, and it's unfortunate for Meg because I spent the whole car ride home analysing this B-grade action film, uh, but was the threat in this film was not from a foreign nation but from within. I want to take you back to the 80s and 90s of action film. Uh, all of the bad guys are foreign nations seeking to destroy and undermine, mostly, America. But here, in this film, the threat is from within. The threat of corrupt power structures that limit personal freedom. And this threat in this movie reflects what our cultural narrative fears and loves. The highest authority is not the president. The highest authority is the self and self-expression. Salvation is found in purging society of restraints on individual freedoms. The threat is from within. It's definitely a cultural commentary on what they're seeing around them. And we see this in the advertising industry too, seeking to resonate with this cultural narrative in order to sell you something or to recruit you to their product. I take the army recruiting tagline. I don't know if you notice this. It's not serve and protect. Rather, it's challenge yourself. Looking up the Australian army website, the logo, challenge yourself. Though there are variations of this story and cultural narrative, I wonder if you are aware of the cultural narrative being told to you. That the sum of our existence, we are told, is consumerism. Of advancing ourselves, of gaining possessions, of gaining experiencing and pursuing pleasure. This is the story that our culture is dominantly telling us. But like the GWS Grand Final Defence, the cultural narrative of our time just isn't working. Come on. It's not working. This narrative is not working. And as a result, what we're getting is not satisfaction, but rather anxiety. Let me tell you, for one, society by and large choose to be ignorant, first of all, of great contradictions within the narrative. On the one hand, the materialistic worldview says there's nothing more than what we can see. That we're simply a product of natural evolutionary processes and that there's no grander meaning or purpose to the universe. This view, by definition, struggles to then reconcile within itself the human dignity of every person. A foundational right that has been paraded and lauded at the UN, right, uh, UN meetings just been held. Humans are simply further down the evolutionary chain and, 
And yet we want to say that human life is precious and that life is sacred. Some contradictions in this narrative. Similarly, our cultural narrative that celebrates free expression and the pursuit of pleasure is paraded by the advertising industry that uses the sexualization of women to sell a product. Or the pornography industry that reduces the body to objects of physical pleasure for our entertainment. The human body is reduced to a commodity. And yet uncovered by the Me Too movement, to mistreat another person sexually is a grievous wrong. On the one hand, sex in the body is cheap and accessible. And yet on the other hand, sex and self is sacred and should never be abused. The narrative we are told doesn't line up. And the reality for this narrative is that for a society as a whole, it just isn't working. What progress is getting us is not utopia, but an anxiety epidemic. We're seeing in society a rise of anxiety and mental health disorders, rampant loneliness, addiction to drugs, food, technology, sex, and gambling, and a decrease in life expectancy. In the US and the UK, studies have shown the last three years life expectancy has decreased. This isn't the future that the materialistic script anticipated. The bold, new, progressive and free future we're striving towards is looking very different to what we were hoping it would be. Our struggle for freedom is giving us lots of pleasure, but leaving us without meaning. Sayers, again, he writes this, we're drowning in freedoms, but thirsting for meaning. The individual receives constant messaging from the culture that to be happy and content, we need to increase our input of freedom. Buying more stuff, consuming more experiences, cannot fill these gaps. Our tanks of freedom are overflowing, bursting at the seams, yet our tanks of meaning and the relational are dry and empty. The output of such a lopsided system is isolation an increasing mental health crisis of escalating levels of depression and anxiety. Endless choice has le left us with an endless sense of confusion and lostness. We fear making the wrong decision. I don't know if you've experienced this. I have many times. Uh, scrolling through Netflix choices for 40 minutes before actually getting to a movie. It doesn't leave us satisfied or more happy. And this is especially true of emerging generations. A sense of paralysis becomes the norm. Freedom is good. I want to say this. We fight for our freedom and it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. But trying to fill an emptiness with more consumer choices isn't working. In the same way today, we're hyper-connected by the internet and social media, yet increasingly experiencing disconnection. Holly Shakaya, professor at the University of California, she writes this, the more you use Facebook over time, the more likely you are to experience negative physical health, negative mental health, and negative life satisfaction. Research is showing that the more time one spends on social media, the greater the association with anxiety symptoms and the greater likelihood of an anxiety disorder. Smartphones and social media are making us more lonely and consequently less happy. This, isn't, this wasn't meant to be according to the materialistic script. 
And with these pressures building, we're seeing an increase in tribalism and identity politics, bullying, discrimination and cultural clashes. At the level of society, materialism and consumerism isn't working for a narrative for us. And I wonder for you on a personal level, are you experiencing this anxiety? What are you measuring your life's worth by? And is it satisfying you? In the midst of your hyper-connectedness, are you feeling connected? Is there another way, another narrative, another story that we can not only make sense of the world around us, but experience the connection and satisfaction our souls long for? Well, tonight... I want to invite you to consider Jesus. Consider a man who walked this earth 2,000 years ago who boldly claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, rewriting the narrative of what it means to know life and to be connected. One of Jesus' contemporaries, a doctor and a historian named Luke, he penned an account of Jesus' life in, in what today we know as the Gospel of Luke. We can know with good authority that this account we are reading dates back to within centuries of Jesus' life. This good news, I mean, that's what the word gospel means. This good news has survived the passing of time and history and offers us hope today. So if you want to grab a Bible in front of you, we're going to read this account. Uh, I want to invite you to open up to Luke's account, to, the, uh, to chapter 12. It's on page 871. Uh, it's helpful to read along as we go through this. And we're going to unpack an encounter that, and, that Jesus has with an anxious man. That's one, Luke chapter 12 uh, on 871. Thousands, bit of context, thousands have gathered around Jesus to hear his teaching. And uh, in verse 13, we meet one of the people out of the crowd. Uh, verse 13 of chapter 12 reads, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now step into this man's shoes. Imagine he's, he's pushed through this crowd of thousands to get to this man, Jesus, who was astounding them with miracles. And what does he ask this man claiming to be the son of God? He wants Jesus to enforce on his brother his share in an inheritance. He anxiously, he doesn't want to miss out on what what is his so that he can get his hands on his wealth? And Jesus' answer here is cutting and he exposes something going on in this man's heart. Verse 14, but he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator of, over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist, consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus responds, he offers a warning. Be on your guard against covetousness. Covetousness is, is having or showing a great desire to possess something belonging to someone else. To covet is to yearn, to possess, or to have something. A desire, a want, a wish for, a long for. And why? Why should this man in the crowd be warned against wanting and desiring things? Well, Jesus says, because one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. This was the man's narrative. 
His life was summed up by the abundance of what he had, and therefore he was anxious to receive his wealth. And true for the materialist narrative of today, we measure life by abundance of experience, wealth, and pleasure. But Jesus here, he confronts this narrative by a different measure of what life is about. And he says it doesn't come from what you have. And so then Jesus tells him a parable. A parable is a type of fictional story that conveys a deeper, more profound truth. So read along with me, verse 16. He says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Let me summarize. So this rich man, he's accumulated for himself an abundance of wealth. So much that he cannot, cannot even store it. So what does he do? He decides he's going to tear down his barns in order to store more for himself in even bigger barns. This man, he's invested heavily in his super. He's paid off the mortgage. He buys the mansion and he achieves the Australian dream. Retiring early. So he says to himself, you did it. You've done it. Relax, you've earned it. Eat shrimp. Drink champagne. Be merry. In this man's narrative, his struggle to accumulate more and more wealth and pleasure has been achieved. He's reached his salvation. By the standards of society, this man, this guy, is is hugely successful and rich. And, And don't we envy him? I know I'd love to retire early, travel the world, have a giant mansion, a never ending packet of Tim Tams, and play golf every day, it sounds pretty good. By the script of today's materialist narrative, this man is a smart investor. But the parable continues, verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The man is confronted by the stark reality of death. When asking the question, what is the sum of life, we need to confront the reality of the question of death. The Christian worldview understands the world as not an accident and simple yet impossible complex and random series of evolutionary steps. But rather, the Christian understands the world as created and loved by God. Humanity is not a mistake and void of meaning, but but people are wonderfully made by God. And people are reflections of his character and his glory. If God is the sovereign creator of the universe, then by definition gets to decide what life's meaning is. In the eyes of God, this rich man was a fool. For he measured his life by material possessions that when his body dies, his soul is left empty. All these things you have prepared, whose will they be? The answer being, who cares? 
Your soul is not measured by them, and yet you've laid up all this wealth for nothing. And so Jesus sums up his parable in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In other words, so too are we fools to acquire wealth and possessions at the expense of knowing God. Life is measured not by our treasure that will leave us empty, but life is measured by our relationship with our Creator that will survive into eternity. God measures our life by relationship with Him. The Christian narrative is that the sum of life is connection and presence with the wonder of God. An existence measured by acquiring possessions, experience and pleasure of constant comparison and endless choice will leave us anxious and disconnected. But an existence measured by God will see us connected, satisfied, loved and at peace, rich towards God. I want to stop here for a moment and ask the question perhaps some of you are thinking well wouldn't it make us far more more anxious if we are accountable to God if when we die all our possessions and experience amount to nothing why is that not an anxious experience we'll take a look at the very next words that Jesus says the very next thing Jesus turns to his disciples his followers Verse 22, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus offers a counter-narrative that is far more sweet and fulfilling than any other narrative. Jesus offers a solution for our anxiety. Jesus says these wonderful, sweet words that have been resounding for centuries. Do not be anxious. Because your life is not cheap. It is valuable. Your life is not worthless. It is priceless. Your soul was made for more than just the temporary nourishment of food and the constant comparison of clothing and impressing other people. Life is more than that. A life that is peaceful and connected and satisfied can be found in relationship to God. You see, the God of the Bible, of Christianity, is not a devious tyrant, but a just and a loving Father. I want to give you this image. Though though we don't have them as much in Australia, we've all seen the movies, to know how destructive and chaotic a hurricane is. A hurricane spinning out of control, reaping destruction in its path. In many ways, human rebellion against God is causing a spiral of downward destruction and anxiety. Life is chaotic and hard. But when Jesus breaks in, he he offers us a place of peace and contentment in the middle of the storm. A place of non-anxious presence in the eye, in the eye of the storm. Jesus, he comes and he turns the cultural narrative upside down. You see, the cultural narrative of today says that the problem with our world is unsatisfaction, boredom, and restraint. The evils of society are outside of ourselves, out there, 
restraining us from our own personal flourishing. But the struggles and solutions we're striving for are not satisfying or fulfilling us, but rather producing greater anxiety, as we saw. What the narrative of Jesus corrects is that our cultural narrative is not working because we've identified the wrong problem. Our cultural narrative is not working because we've identified the wrong problem. What Jesus says is our problem is not outside of ourselves, but from within. Our deepest problem is that we are separated from God, our Creator. We are spiritually dead, cut off from God because of what the Bible calls sin. And despite all our very best efforts, there is no amount of good works that we can do to earn us a spot in God's presence. The Bible describes God as infinitely perfect. In our guilt, we can't just stand. We just couldn't stand to be in his presence. We're anxious at a deep level because we do not have peace with God. We are anxious at a deep level because we do not have peace with God. But the message of Christianity, the narrative we put before you today and we're confident is true, was that the struggle to make peace between us and God could never be done on our own. So God in his love, in his love for humanity, sent Jesus, born of human yet in very nature God, to make peace on our behalf. And to deal justly with all our shame and all our guilt, Jesus would go to the cross to die. And to pay the debt that we owed. You see, on the cross, God absorbed the judgment and the death that should have been ours. God's just judgment was put on Jesus instead of us so that we could receive his mercy. The message of Jesus is not do good works to make yourself right with God. The message of Jesus is that while we are still sinners and spiritually dead and separated from God, Jesus makes a way through his death. And the reason why we are confident that we are now at peace with God and, and no longer separated is because Jesus triumphantly rose from the, death, from the dead, declaring boldly to the world that death and anxiety, and anxiety no longer is the end of the story for those who trust him. Witnessing his resurrection, his, his disciples, his, his early first followers, they themselves would go to their own deaths, proclaiming what they had seen with their eyes. They'd witnessed that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they were willing to go to their own death because they knew that their death was not the end of the story. And this narrative has since flipped the world upside down, transforming lives and culture for two millennium with the message of hope. This message, we can have peace with God. The Apostle Paul, he writes this to the Colossian church. And you who are dead in your trans trespasses. This was our problem. Our problem was that we were dead in, and separated from God. God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so tonight we want to hold this message out to you in an anxious world. The same message that's been resonating throughout history. The message, come, come and be at peace with God. Come and know his forgiveness 
and his cleansing. Come and know his life and his satisfaction, his fellowship and his love, his power and his hope. This is why Christians love to worship Jesus. For they know how much it cost him to make peace for us. And this is why we delight to call Jesus our Lord. Because we know he has risen from the dead. We submit to his love and his guidance because we trust in his will for our lives. Jesus can rewrite your narrative too. Life is more than the abundance of stuff. Life is more than just gaining experiences until we die. Life need not be measured by disconnection, comparison, and fear. There is freedom from your anxiety and your striving. And there is rest to be found in God who made you and he loves you. Will you see tonight that where the problem really lies in life's narrative? The problem is our wicked heart before God. We see tonight that Jesus offers forgiveness and peace with God. Will you join us in this journey of discovery? I want to invite you to come and join us at Alpha. It's a course, a simple discussion around a meal and a video. Come invite the person you came with. Say, let's do this course where, where, you can hear, where we can hear your questions. We can listen to your heart and meet you where you're at. We don't in any way want to rush you in this journey. But tonight, tonight as those who have met Jesus and love him, who ourselves have botched it but have found peace with God, we just can't help but invite you to discover, discover this life and this peace and this hope. We want to invite you to receive this. We want to allow tonight to be the circuit breaker for you the moment in time where you change your script for eternity. We want to make room for what we believe God is doing in hearts and, and invite you to call out to God and receive his peace. You see, the cultural narrative of today, we here believe just isn't satisfying and will not satisfy you. But as we've met Jesus, as we've pressed into the meaning of the true meaning of life, we've discovered that there is hope and there is peace in an anxious world and there is a future beyond our death. There is meaning. We believe God loves you. We believe he died for you. He loved you so much so that you can know peace and that soul satisfaction. And in your hunger for connectedness, we offer because of Jesus, a life connected and free in the arms of God who knows you. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray to God and, and invite you, if you're feeling that prompting of your heart that, that you're ready for that circuit breaker tonight, it doesn't have to be tonight, but we just, we're so excited about this. We love Jesus so much. He has changed our lives that we want to invite you to change your script of history and be at peace with God because this is a brilliant wonderful free gift that he offers to us so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk to god we call it prayer and if you're ready to make that decision echo these words in your heart uh, there's those forms that you can tick and 
we just really long for you to experience this hope and this love that we've found. So would you pray with me? Our Father, we pray to you and we, we thank you so much that you made us and that you love us. Uh, but God, in, in this anxious and confusing world, we can uh, feel lost and disconnected and um, the messages around us are telling us that uh, life is just about our stuff. But um, today we choose to believe that um, life is more than that. We choose to believe Jesus' words that uh, we should not be anxious that life is more than food and clothing. God, we just come to you and, and confess that uh, the problem with our narrative is our own heart and wickedness towards you. And so many times we've rejected you and rebelled against you. We're sorry, Lord, for our sinfulness. God, we receive your grace and your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, that you died in our place, that you canceled the debt that stood between us, and we receive your peace. God, we thank you. And God, we ask your help to navigate this journey of the life that we are in on this side of eternity before we die. God, there's so much anxiety around us, and we are so tempted to just fall into that trap and follow after things that will not ultimately satisfy us. So Jesus, we thank you for this kind word of hope. Uh, Lord, help us not to be foolish, but to measure our life's worth in a relationship with you. Our God, we, we pray that you draw us near. Uh, help us in our weakness. And we just praise you. We thank you. And we love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen.